Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. <laughs> so today, we are, if you couldn't tell from my jacket, we're celebrating something. Um, uh, we are, we are launching a new sermon series <gasps> and the sermon series, can I get a drum roll, please? Can I get a fierce drum roll, please? Yes, it is. Da, 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 da. All good. A sermon series on bodies. Yes, yes, yes. Work. Yes, bodies. So, um, this is a sermon series that is derived from our, uh, we do a community listening session where we um, look at learning goals and we establish learning goals for our community. And so one of the learning goals was to like reestablish a connection with our bodies. And so that's just why we are doing this sermon series. Uh, it's going to be really fabulous. We're going to talk about lots of different uh, 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 aspects of the body. So we might be talking about um, uh, uh, everything from... Uh, disability and dying to uh, pleasure and baptism and Eucharist and uh, and just kind of like finding pe- exercise culture, fat phobia. Like we're just going to find peace in our bodies because for a long time, American Christianity has been kind of like an anti-body thing and we're trying to turn the corner on that. Um, so that is what this, are you excited for this sermon series? I'm so excited. Yeah. I'm really, really excited because in this sermon series, we are going to be looking specifically at texts that use um, language of flesh or body or um, uh, Paul's discourse on sarx and pneuma, if you're into the Greek. So like, we're going to be looking at the texts that are most often weaponized against our bodies, specifically bodies of color and queer bodies, and instead we're going to look to see how we might um, either de-weaponize them or maybe even reclaim them. Because maybe this isn't just about body shame. Maybe there is a certain power in this text that could help to set us free. And so that is what this sermon series is about. Not just uh, a like, yay, bodies. The Bible doesn't say anything about that, but going right into the, the spots that have been weaponized against us so that we might truly become free. Yeah? Yeah, yeah? So, uh, uh, like I said, Galatians is a letter. So Paul is writing to the community, and uh, it's a letter that is people figuring out belonging, people figuring out belonging. Because um, Galatians, there is this big controversy where people who um, uh, were circumcised were like, hey, now we're Christian and we actually like need to mandate that if you're going to become Christian, then you also need to be circumcised. And as you can imagine, for people considering becoming Christian, they're like, that is not that appealing to me. Uh, so there's like this question of body modification. Who gets to be in the community? Which bodies get to be in the community? Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is a, a letter that is trying to sort through which bodies get to be in and which bodies get to be out, which bodies get to belong in the family of Christ. This is a letter that is exploring that. 
And as Paul is trying to explore this, convey this, uh, find metaphors, grasping for metaphors for this, he references a story from Genesis, um, Abraham. So if you remember from our uh, table of contents here, so like he's writing in the letters, which is like in the, you know, like first century uh, zero through a hundred ish are when all the letters were written. And then there's Genesis, which was written, which is part of the Pentateuch, which is like thousands of years earlier, right? Like a long time ago. And, uh, and so he's t- saying like, Hey, do you remember there was this one story in Genesis where Abraham, uh, was married to Sarah and they couldn't have a kid. And so then he started, uh, having sex with an un- enslaved woman, and then she had a kid, and so uh, 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 and then Abraham had sex with Sarah, and she had a kid, and because Sarah, who was already wedded to Abraham, had a kid, they decided to cast Hagar, the enslaved woman, out. Like this is uh, uh, one of the stories that's in the Pentateuch. Woo! By the way, did I say like trigger warning? Right? Like use your skills. Use your skills. So, um, so he he's referencing this story, trying to describe like, hey, there's, um, there's a certain way that you can relate to God uh, that I'm going to use as an illustration from our, like, heritage to try to explain. And when he uses, uh, the words that he uses are flesh and spirit. Flesh, which is sarks, and spirit, which is pneuma in, uh, in Greek. And so what his, the whole metaphor was like, there's the enslaved woman who is cast out, and she kind of represents, like, flesh. And then there's the uh, Sarah, who is, like, the legitimate heir, and she kind of represents spirit or pneuma. And we're trying to be, like, children of spirit. Uh, and so that's kind of, like, the metaphor that he uses. Those are the words that he chooses to say. And um, whatever that meant, you know, uh, 2,000 years ago, we do know that in our current context, in the United States of America, we know for a fact that this text has been weaponized for racism, particularly against black women. Like, we know that there is a legacy of violence against uh, uh, many groups of people, but particularly black women, using this text. And so, uh, you know, historically, this has been uh, used, uh, weaponized in an anti-Semitic way, in an Islamophobic way. Uh, it's kind of like Hagar just kind of represents whoever the community at the time doesn't like. And so, like, you know, it's, it's always uh, that. But in the United States, in this context, we know that there are preachers who used this text specifically to, uh, for, uh, to engage in violence against black women. And so, like, if we remember, um, in Virginia in 1662, they passed the pardus sequitur ventrum, which is um, uh, that, that which is born follows the womb, is what the translation is. So this is a law that says that if you are born in the United States, then you are born free as a citizen unless you are a child of an enslaved woman, in which case that child is also enslaved. And so there's a law that particularly targeted pregnant enslaved people to say your offspring are going to be not like second class citizens like third class citizens because of who you are and there were preachers at the time who said well yeah because in galatians it says that the children of the enslaved are cursed 
And so, like, the theology is, like, if you're a child of the enslaved, then God must, like, love you less or something because, uh, because the children of the free are blessed. We know that, like, we have documentation that this was an operating theology in our culture, like, in this country. And, uh, and, like, we know that the outcomes of that have only been more and more what we call at New City empire, only resulted in more oppression, only resulted in uh, more violence, only resulted in a world that does not look like the world that Jesus wanted to create. And so we kind of have to uh, reckon, reckon with this text in particular. We have to reckon with the text that has been weaponized against our community. I just want to name that the Bible is too liberating for me to just let it be colonized. <laughs> the Bible's too good. There's too much love packed in. There's too much liberation packed in. There's too much power in the pages for me to just decide that the most violent, most problematic people can take it and use it however they want to. The Bible is too good for me to let people use it for evil. The Bible is too healing for it to create wounds against people. So, and so, as not only a preacher, but as a faith community, we have to look at the Bible and say, not today, colonizer. This is not the time. This is not the day for you to just decide that this text can be used for whatever political aims that you have. Not today. This is not the place where we can start a theology that brutalizes the people in our community who are, whom God is blessing the most to set us all free. Not today, colonizer. So let's take a look at Galatians. <laughs> let's take a look at Galatians 5. Um, along the way, we're going to be blessed by the guidance of a, an academic. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Haley Gabrielle. I actually had, we have a research team who sent me this article, and uh, she's amazing. And so uh, she has a PhD in New Testament from Emory University, where I got my Master's of Divinity. Okay, okay, bless the Lord, okay. Um, uh, so uh, she is a member of the Society of Biblical Literature, uh, and she... Uh, her research interests are New Testament, South Asian feminism, post-colonialism, gender and sexuality studies, race and ethnicity studies. By the way, did you know that studying theology can be, like, amazing? But, like, it can be, like, look at how fun this is. Like, I mean, not fun, but, like, look at how cool this is. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, so uh, uh, Dr. Gabriel wrote an article on this in the publication of the Society of Biblical Literature, specifically on this text, uh, saying, like, okay, let's get into this. And so she did a survey of uh, womanist theologians, black female theologians, and then put it in conversation with um, uh, 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 different uh, literary figures like James Baldwin and, and uh, like African-American writers and, and really broke it down and it's so good. And so anything that is smart that is said today is mainly from Dr. Gabriel and anything that is saucy or uh, uh, not academic is from Tyler Sitt. So, okay, bless the Lord. <laughs> bless the Lord. And so she kind of breaks down and she says, you know, a lot of times flesh and spirit get taught like this where flesh is kind of like uh, 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 simply a metaphor for sin, and spirit is simply a metaphor for salvation. And so some of you grew up in youth groups where flesh 
was just a, uh uh-oh, sorry to bring you to that place. Uh, (laughs) So where flesh is just a synonym for sin, like, oh, you must resist the flesh, resist the flesh. And uh, and a lot of times the undertone of that was specifically for uh, sexual orientation and attraction. Like specifically it was like, resist the flesh. Means like, like just whatever you do, like don't think about what your body most wants to do when you're a teenager. Like whatever you do, resist the flesh. And that was like youth group, right? And, and, um, and so then spirit was like synonymous with repression where it's like, you have to resist the flesh. And therefore, like, you have to, like, just, like, somehow access this other plane of being where somehow you don't want things and you don't desire things and you're not noticing people and you're just kind of, like, prancing around like a Barbie doll and you can just, like, do whatever. You know what? I, shout out to Barbie. Yeah. You know what I mean? The scene, I'm not going to get into it because there are kids in the room, but the scene where they first get into the real world and they're having conversations with the construction workers, like, you know, like, so it's like... Those who know, know. Okay, so, um, so, she's, so she points out, like, this flesh and spirit is so reductionistic and uh, problematic for several reasons. One, because if flesh and spirit are simply a metaphor, then we truly have a disembodied religion. If flesh and spirit is just, like, an image in our head and not something that is physically true in our bodies, then that means that God doesn't want us to pay attention at all to our breath or to our heart or to what our body is telling us, our intuition. And if that's true, then theology can go way off the rails, right? Okay, so, so that's one thing. But two, there's a history of this construct specifically being used to oppress people like me and like many of the people in this room. Like, flesh is often associated with women, with materiality, and with temptation. And so it's like, we have to resist the flesh, and that means it's a woman's job to not wear a tank top, because if I see her shoulders, then I'm going to be, I can't resist the flesh if I see a shoulder in the world. And so it's like, like, do you see how this is, this quickly becomes gendered? You have to resist the flesh if you're not straight, and, and just kind of like access uh, this idea of heterosexuality that is somehow available to you. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, there is a history of this theology, this interpretation of the text being used against people in this room for violence. And we have to, and oh, oh, during colonization, just to add that, like, um, uh, the colonized, the indigenous cultures were seen as material and earthly, while the enlightened intellectual cultures, European, were seen as spiritual, right? And so it, it justified the domination of the flesh because of this enlightenment. Like this theology, that interpretation has not led us to where we want to go. That interpretation has not created the world that Jesus envisioned when Jesus was doing ministry on earth. And so uh, she, uh, Dr. Gabriel, invites us to uh, dig into the text and kind of lean in in a different way. And so she, uh, first of all, reminds us that Galatians is a letter about people figuring out who belongs, how to belong in space. And specifically, uh, we're talking about, like, a certain body modification that um, could enable or disable folks from being able to be part of the community. And so she instead says, what if we reimagine this, instead of just simply a metaphor, if we imagine flat ooh, whoa, if we imagine flesh as vulnerability 
those of you who are listening to the podcast, you can be like, I wish I was there in person to know what just happened, and I'm not going to tell you. Okay, so, um, uh, so she's like, what if we imagine instead that flesh is vulnerability and spirit is security? Ooh. So what if instead of just being a metaphor for sin, she's talking about a certain way that folks have been rejected or socially harmed because of their body, of who they are, and that is flesh, that is fleshliness. What if Hagar, Abraham's uh, exiled, enslaved wife, was not flesh because she was bad, but flesh because she was traumatized? Like, what if, th- what if it was like, it's not just about like good and bad or a metaphor for sin and salvation, it's like a certain condition that lives not only in our head and our heart, but also our body that we kind of have to sort through. What if Paul is saying that like folks who have gone through traumatic experiences have some things to sort through, to metabolize, to deal with, and if it's not dealt with, then, then destructive things kind of come from that. And similarly, if folks can find a sense of security and grounding, then life-giving and amazing things can come from that. Because what does Paul say about the Spirit? That it is the thing that cannot be removed. God's love, the pneuma, is the thing, the mark that is forever. The thing that cannot be modified. The thing within your body that is like permanent, like a tattoo of love that will never wash away. Like pneuma is the security of knowing that you are God's beloved. And sarks is like the thing that can feel insecure or vulnerable because of the violence of society. This is the argument that she's making. First of all, isn't that hot? I'm like, ooh, I like this because it kind of gives a new light to what it means uh, for flesh and spirit within Galatians. Uh, In in Galatians 5, we have um, uh, Paul talks about this is what comes from the flesh and this is what comes from the spirit. In Galatians 5, he says, uh, uh, if you are of the way of the flesh, then the things that come from that are hate, fighting, obsession, losing your temper, competitive opposition, jealousy, and there's a whole list more. Doesn't it kind of make sense, based off of what you know about being a human being and what God has given you, that if you like, were victimized or traumatized or experienced violence in some way and then didn't deal with it, that this would be a natural outcome of that? Doesn't it just kind of like intuitively match what we know about people? Like In this regard, it's almost like flesh is unprocessed trauma. Like, it's, it's like the thing that we carry with us, not just intellectually or emotionally, but in our bodies, the impacts in our bodies that drive us to make decisions that are destructive. Do you get what I'm saying? It's not just a metaphor. It's like it's coded in our nervous system. Listen, we do embodied anti-racism at, at New City Church, which is a, a group that specifically is for white folks trying to encourage other white folks in holding each other accountable in anti-racism journeys. And like part of the thing that we really try to emphasize is like 
racism and the impulse towards oppression is is like an embodied thing, not just an intellectual thing. And so you don't just need to like learn a nifty new vocab word. Like you need to learn how to inhabit your body in order to actually be uh, anti-racist. Like this is this is a part of our yeah. We have clapping from the lobby. Bless the Lord. Uh, so like this is like an important thing, and this is all biblically aligned with Paul's vision of flesh. And I actually like flesh in this connotation a little bit more than the word trauma or unprocessed trauma because it really emphasizes that it lives here. It lives here. Like trauma, you know, it feels like more like an event or something like intellectual, but it's like, no, it, there's something in your body that happens when, uh, when you, your body goes through a fight-or-flight reflex and then something scary happens regardless of that fight-or-flight reflex. And that's in Paul's construct, flesh. And similarly, he says the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, and gentleness. And doesn't it make sense, given what you know, given what God has inspired you to know, that when we deal with our baggage, when we actually like confront and process and metabolize some of the stuff that we're carrying in our bodies, that the natural outcome of that is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, and there's this whole other list. Like, doesn't it kind of like bring into sharp contrast all of a sudden what this flesh and spirit thing is. It's not just about deciding who you are or aren't attracted to. It's about deciding what you're going to do with the body that you're living in and how you're going to metabolize the pain that has been inflicted upon you. And this is especially uh, something, you know, as members of the marginalized communities, we have to, like, really reckon with, like, it's true that trauma isn't our fault, and it's also true that healing is our responsibility. It's true that trauma isn't our fault, but it's also true that healing is our responsibility. And so, like, uh, uh, it's true that, like, it wasn't fair, and, uh, and it's true that those people made decisions that harmed us, and it's true that uh, this country is founded on empire groundings, theological groundings that continue to choke us. And it's also true that no one is going to do the healing for us. It's also true that, like, we have to kind of process our own stuff to find our own spirit, to find God's spirit within us, because otherwise we'll never have love, joy, peace, patience, and gentleness. And robbing us of love, joy, peace, patience, and gentleness is exactly what the colonizer wants. So we play into a game of peace. We wage healing onto our bodies and our communities. We find a way to identify flesh not as a shame-based way, but as a liberating way, an invitation towards healing. We find that the very text that was weaponized against us is actually trying to spiritually diagnose and support people on their way to healing. This is the good news And this is why I love the Bible. Amen.